Time to go back to the beginning and do it all over again on Overview with Asteroid G. You're listening to Not So Live from Asteroid G. I'm Mike Finkelstein, and with me in the booth today is Sonny Rath, uh, in part because we're going to be talking about Castlevania, and my co-hosts collectively have played maybe a single game all the way through, uh, and also because of the fact that they're all sick with COVID, and so I'm finding co-hosts to help me out for this right now. Sonny, how you doing over there? I'm all right, and Mike, <laughs> you can call me Zach. Oh, uh, I, 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 don't, I don't assume, but sure, Zach. <laughs> <laughs> So we're going to be talking Castlevania right now, but before we go in and get into that, I will establish, I know I've established it on the website before, but no one ever reads what I say, um, that I've been running a Castlevania site for, shit, 20 years now, close to, maybe a little over even, it's, it's weird. Uh, maybe sad is the better term, but I keep running that website and I just keep doing it. Uh, so I know my knowledge base for the game series, so, uh, Zach. What is what would you consider your level of knowledge and familiarity with the series? Well, for the most part, my familiarity goes for the classic Castlevanias, such as one, two, uh, one, two, Dracula's Curse, yep. through which is three, yep. uh, Super Castlevania Four, Symphony of the Night, Castlevania Chronicles for the PlayStation, uh-huh. which is not a very well-known title. I will admit that because Chronicles. It took the NES Castlevania and gave it that nice little twist to make it feel different, make it feel like a completely changed game from the original. But it did have the multi-directional whipping that Super Castlevania 4 had, which was a very nice touch for NES Castlevania. Um, but if we're talking about the lore behind the characters, Simon, Trevor, Sypha, Grant, Alucard... So let's, let's 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 get into this then, since we're, since we're kind of already veering into this anyway. So when I look at the Castlevania series, um, it used to be that I'd say that it was bifurcated because you had the classic series and then you had the Metroidvanias. That's kind of shifted in the last few, uh, ten years. I'd say pretty much you know once Harmony of Despair the online only like multiplayer version came out we've kind of ended up with what feels like five distinct chunks of the series we have the classic games which you were primarily just talking about there you have the yep. uh the metroidvanias the you know vampire killer castlevania 2 and then everything basically from more or less from symphony. symphony of the night on yeah yeah um, symphony yeah. of the night onward heck yeah, heck yeah. Uh, then you have the let's it's kind of the God of War inspired stuff. The like there there's there's a little bit of Devil May Cry for the two 3D games that they did after like the whole the whole midpoint 3D series is weird and trying to replicate stuff. But once you got into uh, Lords of Shadow, uh, then you really had like a God of War series that was there. You have the mobile games of which I consider Harmony of Despair to be part of that, but plus the two yeah. recent entries. Uh, I, I would agree with Harmony and Despair being part of the mobiles yeah. just because of how it played. Yep. And then, because Konami can't help being Konami, gambling machines. Oh, good lord. <laughs> it's Don't all get Castlevania. me started on the gambling machines. Yeah, I mean, and of, of all the things that are out there right now, the only one I haven't played is the damn gambling machines because, well, I mean, they're hard to find in the United States and most of them are just in, like, pachinko parlors in Japan. And also, yep. God, why? Like, just why? 
So I will admit, I actually have gotten to play one of the gambling machines, oh. and it was very different. It, oh yeah, they're fun. Oh yeah, don't get me wrong. If but it's your thing. at the same at the same time, if you have that whole, uh, I'm going to play until I win with it, then you might be sitting there for a while. Yeah. I mean, because they don't really have an ending. They have a lot of cutscenes built into them, but the whole goal is just to keep you pumping the pachinko slot. The pachinko balls into yeah. Yeah. the machine and just continue playing. The, but the... those cutscenes, I'm glad you brought the cutscenes up, because <laughs> the cutscenes on those machines are fantastic. <laughs> Now, did you did you actually play a pachinko one, or did you play one play one of the patchy slots? I actually played one of the pachinko ones. Okay, so there's only I did one not of play those. the patchy slots, and yeah. I played the one that has the cutscenes. Okay, yeah, there's only one of the pachinko ones out there. Uh, the CR Akumajo Dracula, which I mean, on my website, I always just translate that to Castlevania because I don't want to have to fucking write that over and over again. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. No. I mean, with it. Known as Akumajo Dracula, Akumajo Densetsu, yeah. so on and so forth in Japan. Yeah. And us having it translated over here as Castlevania. For every time. I mean, oh, yeah, it's easier. Everybody's going to know it more as Castlevania than Akumajo Dracula or Akumajo Densetsu. Well, and there was a period there for three or four games where even Japan was translating it for their games as Castlevania just to make everything easier. I, I In part because, you know. Uh, Demon Castle Dracula is a very generic name, but Castlevania is something you can trademark. <clears throat> I absolutely agree, and correct me if I'm wrong on this one, but wasn't that during, I want to say, the DS games that they actually was, ended up having them as Castlevania? I'd have to go back and look again. It's on my website. I think it was actually the Game Boy Advance games, specifically, um... The, that was the thing. I couldn't. I couldn't remember if it was the Game Boy Advance or the DS. I knew it was one of the Pretty two sure. handheld Pretty that sure were the Game mid generation. Because I think it was around the time of from Circle of the Moon through to Aria. Uh, yes, were, you are right. You are yeah. right. It was Circle to Aria. So it would have been Game Boy Advance for that, and then they switched back to the Akumajo Dracula for the uh, DS games. So let's, DS titles. Let's uh let's back up a sec and let's go back to the beginning cuz I mean we've talked about the gambling machines as much as we're ever going to because yay. Um yeah. <laughs> So when you look at the Castlevania series, uh depending upon when you were born, uh what the what the true distillation of Castlevania generally means for a lot of us is those hard as nails platformers. Castlevania 1, 2, uh Two to an extent, even though that's the beginnings, really, of the Metroidvania for a lot of people. But 1, 2, 3, Castlevania 4, Super Castlevania 4, uh, mm -hmm. Bloodlines, Rondo of Blood. Uh, and then at that point, like, the only real, true next game in the series that we got for, like, the... Um, well, I guess, and then there's the Game Boy ones. And I was going to say Ga the Castlevania Legends, but you can't forget Adventure and... What's quote unquote Adventure Two, Castlevania Two, Belmont's Revenge. That yes. is the classic series. Of those, I'm really bad at most of them. I mean, I love them. I fight my way through them. We we you and I played Castlevania Three up to a point where you fought farther than I did, and I was just like, yeah, I'm good with this right now. He did, <laughs> and I did end up finishing Castlevania Three, where I was like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do this. But when it comes to Castlevania One and Two. I've beaten those quite a few times, mm -hmm. and I will add one extra game onto the list of the classic Castlevanias, and that is Chronicles 
as well. well. We were going to touch upon that in a sec because I will I will chat with that one with you because right. depending upon the version of the timeline you look at, and I'm depending upon the timeline, I, I can see where the argument would be made with Chronicles being more of a Metroidvania style, well, like Symphony of the Night, the because you do have different paths. Chronicles is based on the X sixty eight thousand computer one, which was meant as a straight remake. You are um. For those who are curious, there is also the MSX version, which is Vampire Killer, which is really the first proto-Metroidvania in the whole series, and that's that's a different discussion that we'll have in a, in a couple minutes here. But yeah, yeah, that's its whole thing. But Chronicles is is more of a direct remake than the other one that they consider in Japan to be a straight remake, which is Super Castlevania Four. Of the yes. two. I consider Castlevania 4 to be a sequel to Castlevania and Castlevania 2. And the reason why isn't just because the layout of the game is drastically different, which it is, but also because the gravestone that you see at the end of Castlevania 2 breaks open at the end of Castlevania, or at the start of Castlevania 4. And I will absolutely agree with that. And not to mention, you have bosses that came in with both Castlevania 1 and Castlevania 2, as well as some new bosses. Mm -hmm. And Castlevania 4 yeah. making their appearances all throughout the stages of Castlevania 4, as well as some mini-bosses that were unique, quote, normal enemies yeah. in some of the games, end quote. Yeah. And turned into mini-bosses that really worked well with the flow mm. of Castlevania. Yeah, I mean, and if you wanted to look at it from the perspective of Konami didn't want to introduce a bunch of new heroes, and they just wanted to iterate on the stories that they already had, I get considering Castlevania Four like a remake, quote-unquote, because it's just Simon fighting Dracula and yada, yada, yada. But when it came to America, they localized it as a sequel. And true, American localization isn't always something to rely on, but... In that particular instance, I kind of feel like they nailed it. It makes more sense to just continue Simon's adventure. He's sucked into it one more time and has to fight Dracula again. Oh, yay. Uh, and then, of course, there's Trevor's adventure that came somewhere around there as well. Yep. yep. I was about to bring up Trevor as well, where uh -huh. they could have also used him for Castlevania IV. Oh, but yeah. I I like more that they decided to go with Simon instead of Trevor. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they could have they could have done any of the three Belmonts that we had there, uh, Simon, Trevor, or the Game Boy guy, uh, Christopher, who I don't feel like gets nearly as much love as he deserves. No, Christopher doesn't get anywhere near as much exposition as he should. He wasn't even and... featured in uh, Portrait of Ruin as one of the top five guys for that uh, that summon that you could do. No, he wasn't. Yep. And but Rude. I mean, after Richter came around, Richter was all over the place oh, too. Yeah. Well. So that, we, we can get into that right now if you want, because that's really, like, one of the next ones that we can talk about. Like, following the, the timeline, there's Trevor, then there's Christopher, then there's Simon, even though Simon came first, like, as far as releases the game's concerned. But mm -hmm. you're not wrong. Simon gets all the love because he's the, he's the progenitor of the series, basically. He's the first guy to ever show up on our timeline. Oh, yeah. And then Richter gets love in large part because he was in Rondo of Blood, the game that only just recently came to, like, recently in the last 10 years, uh, came to the United States, but was exclusive to Japan for the longest fucking time. Um, oh, yeah. And that was the first Castlevania game that, that the eventual series producer, Koji Iga Igarashi, worked on. He was a 
uh, artist and, like, associate producer on that game after doing dating sims for Konami. And so, like, when he did that and then wanted to continue the series because he got the right to do so within Konami, uh, that was the game he wanted to make a sequel to. And so Richter just kind of stuck around and then now just won't go away. Yeah, and... Not that I hate I mean, him, I'm just saying. I... I was about to say, I, I won't say that I dislike Richter, because I think Richter's character is very good. But there was also another character introduced alongside Richter back in the TurboGrafx times. Maria. And, and I, yeah, I was about to say, I think you know exactly where oh, I'm yeah. going with this. Oh, yeah. Maria's the more interesting character, because she's, she's, it's not that she's the first non-Belmont we ever saw. Uh, we did see, I mean, we saw Sypha and Grant. Sypha, Grant, Alucard. and Alucard. Yep, the ever-famous Alucard, who also refuses to go away. Um, and I, know, I, I like Alu him, too. Alucard He's, shouldn't go away. Yeah. Um, Let's be real. Well, yeah, but we had them. We had Eric, who joined up with John Morris in Bloodlines, and that's just its own weird game we can go and, touch on in a second. And that was Eric Lacard, if yep. I remember correctly. Eric Lacard, uh, who g gained the Alucard Spear... Uh, and then that was mistranslated as the Lacard Spear or the Alcard Spear, depending upon mm. what translation you got, uh, because American localizations just didn't care. Um, yep, on the yeah. TurboGrafx, I know that was the Lacard Spear. Yeah, I, uh, Sega Genesis was that one that they came out on, but when the Spear showed up again in the Sega Saturn, they did retranslate it as the uh, Alucard Spear, as it was supposed to be. Oh, yeah, it was the Genesis. I'm sorry, because uh -huh. Bloodlines oh, was Genesis. You're fine. Uh, that's why but, I'm here. I'm the font of all stupid knowledge of the series. So <laughs> I will admit, Bloodlines does have a rocking soundtrack. It does for a Sega Genesis game. Like, I'm not a huge fan of the Sega Genesis sound chip. I, it sounds tinny and a little plinky to me, and I know that's just based on the hardware. There are actually people who really like it. The songs themselves, though, are great, and that includes, mm -hmm. like, the first rendition ever of... Sinking Old Sanctuary, which I absolutely love. That's my oh, favorite. Oh, Sinking Old Sanctuary is so good. So good. <laughs> and I believe Reincarnated Soul was on it. Yes, that was as well. Iron Blue Intention. There's a lot of good tracks that started in that series or got really good, uh, or started in that game or got really good iterations in that game that kind of became the default for those tracks for a while. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But I mean, and I, like, the funny thing about Bloodlines is, in some respects, it's a really good evolution of the Super Nintendo game. Harder, yes, it, but... It really was, because it added a whole lot of new mechanics and new moves that you could do into the games. Uh -huh. And in turn, Nintendo ended up seeing this, and that's where Dracula X came around, if I remember correctly. Dracula X came as a sort of remake of uh, Rondo of Blood for American Authors. That, that's its own weird thing. The problem yeah, with Rondo but... of Blood was, like, the American TurboGrafx people wanted to bring it over, but the higher-ups were like, this won't sell in the United States, so they didn't bring it in. So when Konami finally decided to bring a game over, they did an updated, kind of updated, version for the Super Nintendo, which, of the things that I will say about that game... It is, I think it's prettier than the than the Turbo Graphics version. The sound quality is not necessarily it's, as good, but it has prettier graphics. 
but it, it is. It is a lot more smooth on the graphical, and yeah. the soundtrack is not quite as good on the Super Nintendo as you would find on later iterations of that game, because yeah. there actually is a version of it on the PSP that is that. The, the oh, that soundtrack is yeah. gorgeous. Yeah. Well, and that's the problem with having to run it through the SNES sound chip instead of being able to use CD audio as the PC Engine version did. Um, but the big issue I have with Dracula X, uh, even more so than like Bloodlines or Dracula 3 or any of or Dracula 3, Castlevania 3 or Dracula any of those, 3. yeah, is, is the fact that it's just obnoxiously hard. It is. It really is. It's, it's <laughs> yeah. not one for the faint of heart. No. If you are playing it, you are... In for the long haul. Yeah, you and have to with there being, practice. And with there being so many paths on top of that, mm-hmm. it just makes the game even more difficult. Oh my god, that, like, the Turbo Graphics version has multiple paths, but it's, like, it, I wouldn't say it's kind, but it at least gives you a character, Maria, who's broken enough that the challenge doesn't feel that bad. But yeah, the SNES version doesn't give you Maria. She doesn't show like she shows up, but it's as a cameo, and then she goes away. And like the game to get the best ending demands you do some really dumb shit. You don't even get to use your sub weapons for half the game. You gotta lug a key around that you don't get to do anything with. Also, you can unlock Maria and then Annette uh, to get the best ending, and it's just it's a punishing game. It is, and you're relying on your whip. You can't even item crash in it, yeah. which yeah. that was a new mechanic brought into yeah. the you, game at that point in time. But once you have that key, you're stuck not item crashing, and it sucks. Yep, and item crashing with it doing so much damage compared yeah. to your whip or just your sub-weapon by itself, it's like, yep. well, here we go. Yeah, that's, I think, the primary reason why most speedrunners don't even bother doing a 100% run of that game, because they're just like, F this, this is too much. <laughs> oh, I, I would agree with them yeah. on that one. Yeah. So, um, like, but of, of the classic games of the series, uh, my personal favorites are definitely Super Castlevania 4, in no small part, because it's one of the kinder ones. It's, like, if you're trying to speedrun it, it's a hard game, but if you can be a casual about it, it's it's fairly forgiving. And then uh, I like the second Game Boy one, uh, Belmont's Revenge, because that one has a kick-ass soundtrack. Uh, yes, it does. Yes. Oh my god, that soundtrack. So, that... Ooh, picking my favorites of the classics, that's a tough one. <laughs> because Super Castlevania Four is definitely up there as not only is the game forgiving on a casual standpoint, yeah. but the soundtrack in and of itself amazing. is amazing. The iteration of bloody tears on it the mm-hmm. iteration of beginning on mm-hmm. it and the theme of simon belmont oh yeah well, i was i was just gonna say the other thing about it is that yeah it came out early enough in the super nintendo that it's kind of a quote-unquote tech demo but it's a tech demo done by the team that would eventually go on and like create treasure they knew what the fuck they were doing with hardware oh they did yeah. and i mean just just to give more exposition on that tech demo, that was one of the first games to actually utilize mode seven. Yeah. I mean, the the way that game opens where you just you're walking through like an area that looks just like Castlevania three, but prettier. Uh, and then you come into the first real zone of the game and like the music starts up and like this gate comes crashing up out of nowhere and suddenly you have two dimen- two like parts of the dimension to play on and everything, which, you know, 
wouldn't yeah. really come into play again for most games until like the Virtual Boy. It was ridiculous how much those people put into that game on like a technical level. And every stage tried to do something interesting with the hardware of the Super Nintendo. It never really let up on a technical front. It did not. And with that transition from the foreground to the background in block one, yep. there felt like there was inspiration in that from Super Mario Brothers 3 yep. because of the certain blocks in there that would transfer you from the foreground to the background. Super Mario and, 3 and Super Mario World, like they both they both had that to a certain extent. And I wouldn't mm -hmm. say Super Castlevania 4 did a lot with that. But the fact that they did it in such a splashy way was so interesting. Yes. Yeah. And that's exactly where I was going with that. Yeah. Now, the the only downside I will say for Super Castlevania 4 is the final boss rush <laughs> is where the game is absolutely unforgiving. Only because I mean, of Slogra. Only because yeah, of that fucker. <laughs> yep, Slogra and then <laughs> Death. Gaibon's easy. Yeah, well, yeah, uh, Gaibon is easy, and actually, death is easy if you don't care about how fast you do it. Because exactly, you can, you can tuck into the left corner of that that like stage area, and then just like whip up once when he comes by, and then hold your whip up, and he can't hit you at all. It's stupid. But if you want to go fast, death is pretty hard. But there's no there's no cheat way to fight Slogra. Slogra is just a complete asshole in that game. <laughs> Exactly, because Slogra has such a long period of invincibility. He does. And yeah. But let's talk about forgiving on that boss rush, Dracula. He's okay. So if you know what you're doing, he can be. But I will say that if you get clipped by those lightning bolts he casts down, then you're fucked. Yeah, on his yeah. final phase, it yeah. those hurt a lot. They do. I died more times to the lightning bolts than I did to any other attack he unleashed. But I still died more to Slogra than anything else in that game. Oddly enough, my casual playthrough, the one I died to the most on the Dracula fight in 4, was the meat drop attack. <laughs> <laughs> it <laughs> is obnoxious, not, yeah. I could not figure out how to dodge the bullets. Oh, <laughs> uh, wow. Okay, so of all the... Um, of all the... Classic games, though, I think there are two that stand out as the real losers of that whole series. One is the first adventure, just because it's stupidly hard for no good reason. Yeah, the first adventure was very unforgiving, unforgiving and kind ridiculously of bland. high difficulty yeah. and very bland. I will say, there's some good tracks on there, but... Um, like the actual, like the music tracks are great, but the actual game itself, like just just the simple fact of every time you get a whip upgrade, if you take any damage at all, you lose your upgrade. That's just like really, you're gonna make me slog through this at the lowest possible strength. Ugh, that all of that, yeah. was, all of that was improved in the in the second game, which is great. The other one that is just meh is definitely Legends. Yeah, Legends Legends really didn't hold up well at no. all. No. It was an interesting idea, like a prequel to the whole series, and you get to see like uh, the first female Belmont and have Alucard come back and everything else. But play-wise, it just it wasn't there. No, it really wasn't. I mean, if if you actually look at the Castlevania series as a whole, yeah, and even go back to the ones that are classified as classics, uh huh. 
Legends really is the only one, in my opinion, that does not hold well to today's standards. Yeah. You can play one, two, three, it, basically any of them except for Legends, and they hold up very well, even today. Like, it's almost, what, 40 years later for Castlevania 1 now? 35. And it is 35. Yep. Because 87. Yep, well, and they just, they literally just put out NFTs, which, uh, but they put out NFTs that were to celebrate the 35th anniversary. Yes. Yep. I forgot it was 87 for some yep. reason. No, it's fine. But, but even still, like, yep. you go back to Castlevania 1 in 87 and play it today, and it's still a game that holds up very it well. It is. It looks really good. Like, for an NES uh, game, it pushes the hardware graphically enough, um, and it has, it has... A really good soundtrack. I mean, we think of it as an early game in the NES run because most of us didn't get an NES until like 86 and that game came out in 87. Uh, mm -hmm. But, I mean, it came out on the uh, Famicom, like the Famicom came out in like 83. So this was four years into the Nintendo's run. Konami knew what they were doing. They did. Yeah. And on top of that, I'm going to dive more into the hardware of uh -huh. the NES with this one. But if you actually look at the bat patterns and how they go in that very small sine wave, that actually pushes the mathematical processor on it very close to its limits. <laughs> there are some games on the NES, Castlevania included, that people wonder how the NES did not catch fire with its <laughs> processor with the algorithms that it was going through in order to produce certain patterns from enemies. And just, if you look at the NES games, it's, it's incredible what they did back in the mid to late eighties with them mm -hmm. and the Castlevanias in and of themselves. If you break each one of them down that are on the NES one, two, and three, and actually look at everything that the RAM for the NES, the processor, every single piece of the NES is doing, there is not a single second of downtime. It is a technical masterpiece. So speaking of masterpieces, since you gave me a good segue there, I'm just going to take it. The, the series had a slow transition away from the classic style titles because like the big game that came out and the one that everyone points to as the transition point for the series is symphony of the night which is was, a brilliant I, game it's i was about to ask if we're going into certain territory we are, we are. <laughs> now the thing is that game is structurally different from the metroidvanias to follow it's very much a pilot episode if you will for the genre that the games would eventually come to. Some of the stuff carried over. Other ideas that were in that game never really were followed through on again. But, like, structurally speaking, it's the start of the Metroidvania era. But it's also interesting because you could tell, uh, like, you could tell at the time Konami was like, well, this game didn't sell well, which it didn't outside of Japan for, like, months and months. Uh, so no. they, they didn't put their en energy immediately into making a proper sequel to that game and instead went back to trying to figure out how to continue pushing the classic formula forward. So they had Legends and then Castlevania 64, 
and the Castlevania 64 director's cut of Legacy of Darkness, none of which really worked that well. They didn't. And the Castlevania 64s were, and I feel bad saying this, but at the same time, I don't, in my opinion, absolutely atrocious. They, they did not handle well at all. I played through them. I, uh, I enjoyed, I enjoyed what they got right more than anything else, but there's a lot that they got wrong to be sure of that. Like the, the weird shot mechanic that kind of bites you in the ass if you use it too much. The platforming that is so finicky that if you don't grab a cliff at just the right angle, you don't grab it at all and you fall to your death. Uh, like, yeah, and yeah. like ultimately, the the cons heavily outweighed the pros that Castlevania sixty four brought with it. Now, where where it was a graphical masterpiece for the sixty four at the time, yeah, there were so many other games on that console that handled better, but with it being an entry in the Castlevania series and having the legacy leading up to Castlevania 64. Yeah. That was just a massive letdown. Oh, it was, it was like, you had to really want to like that game to get into that game and you could, and it wasn't the worst thing I've ever played. I've played far worse 3d games there, but I have played far better Castlevania games. And that's the big issue with it. Yes. Uh, Yeah. If it didn't have the Castlevania title. Yeah. And it were just a standalone game, I don't think it would be that bad. But considering think... it's got the name and the legacy behind it, yeah, that in and of itself is where it just sank. Yeah, I don't think it would have the legacy it does, and people would still be talking about it now if it didn't have the Castlevania name. It would have just been a generic 3D platformer that people would have paid attention to, to five minutes for five minutes, and then be like, oh, "Yeah, that's fun," and then moved yep. on. Like. They, they discuss it the same way they discuss, like, the Bram Stoker's Dracula game for the SNES. It's a oh, thing that yes. exists. Yeah. And, I mean, and this this is the same for every series. You're going to have its high points and you're going to have its low points. And, honestly, Castlevania 64 was the lowest point of the Castlevania series. Because even Castlevania 2, which a lot of people really didn't like because they couldn't figure out how to get all four of the pieces in order to be able to bring Dracula back and then defeat him. They still enjoyed the difficulty from Castlevania two, as well as everything else that Castlevania two brought to the table, your purchasable upgrades and things like that. But 64, I mean, even though you had that whole nice adventuring aspect, you were able to purchase things. It, it just didn't feel right while you were playing it. It, it did not have the same feeling that you would normally get from a Castlevania title. And it certainly doesn't hold up well at this point. No, no. it does not. It is yeah. worth a play. I will go ahead and say that. If you want to actually play it, or you feel like you want to take a look at it, it's definitely worth a play, but only one. <laughs> yeah. So, but... With those games out of the way, what we can really now talk about is the true next phase of the series, which is Symphony of the Night and how it leads into the Metroidvanias to come. Uh, and that's, and inspired so many other Metroidvanias so, yeah, on like, top of that. The Metroid, like you can't, you can't go like three days without seeing an announcement for another Metroidvania, most of which directly take inspiration from Symphony of the Night in one way or another. 
Like Oh, very yeah. much so. Yeah, it redefined the genre. It's it's the reason why most people refer to it as Metroidvania at this point and not just Metroid like games. Cuz mm -hmm. like yeah, Metroid has its own thing. Uh, and it's there's definitely a lot of games that copy off of Metroid itself, like Axiom Verge, for example. But there are so many games that take the blending of what Castlevania did as inspiration that it's not really Metroid's genre anymore. It, it really... When Symphony of the Night came out, it really, really changed the scene of Castlevania and uh -huh. really just sparked a whole new genre and a whole new level of popularity eventually the level of popularity being with the castlevania series itself it it reignited that flame over the years over the it years. did oh, take yeah. a while before that happened yeah it was a it was a it was a bestseller in japan but it it came out in that era when all of america really wanted 3d games and it was a classic looking 2d platform now probably one of the best-looking games in the series, bar none. They, that was a labor of love from IGA there, like, hands down. It, the it really game. was. Yeah. And, I mean, you'll, you take a look at the game, and you're like, okay, it, it's your standard old 2D platforming, and then you actually start playing it, and you're yeah. like, There's oh, so much. Yeah. This, this has Metroid aspects yeah. to it. And That's then so you cool. keep playing, and you're like, oh, yeah, this it, has the combination of the standard Castlevania aspects with the Metroid aspects, hereby making it the Metroidvania genre, and then you keep playing it, and you're like, okay, this game is awesome. Yeah. It eventually gained the clout it needed in the United States, uh, eventually becoming a big, a big seller enough to get, like, a Platinum Hits release and everything else, but that took time. Uh, time like, time that Konami was not expecting. And the thing is, we talk about it like it's what, the best game in the series, and it is right up there. But there are only two games in the franchise that actually managed to sell a mi million units or more, and Symphony of the Night is not one of them. No, Symphony of the Night did not manage to hit that million mark. Nope. I think it stopped at 800,000? Something like that, even with re-releases, yeah. Yeah, like, the original Castlevania is one of them, in part because it kept getting re-releases that they counted as part of the number. Uh, and the other one that made it was, for some stupid reason, the original Lord of Sh Lords of Shadow game. So the Lord, the original Lords of Shadow game, that yep. is one I've played, and the the whole reason it actually did end up hitting that million mark is because the game in and of itself was actually very enjoyable to play through. You and I have a very different opinion on that one. But before before we get to that, let's let's touch upon the Metroidvanias because we're we're only halfway through this timeline right now. That's true. We are only halfway so, through. Yeah, Symphony of the Night is brilliant, and like it, it's one of those ones where it's like, where do I start at in the Castlevania series? Well, you start with Symphony of the Night. I'm a purist, and I love the classic games, but you start with I Symphony of the definitely Night. Definitely start. Yeah. 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 If you've never played before, you start with Symphony of the Night, then you go back and try some of the other ones. Super Castlevania so, next, because that's that's your that's your next gateway right there. But Yeah, if if you're going for gateways, Symphony of the Night to start with and for the Metroidvania genre specifically, and that's all Metroidvanias. Yep. Start with Symphony of the Night. Yep. And then if you're going for the classic platforming with some difficulty in it before you actually go into the increasing difficulty, then definitely Super Castlevania 4 is your gateway on that one. Yep. 
But what, what Symphony of the Night's legacy did was not only start sparked the genre to come, even within Castlevania itself, because eventually it got the numbers that Konami was like, okay, let's try this again. Uh, but it also gave people a taste of what they wanted, so that when Circle of the Moon came out, it sold a whole oh. hell of a lot better than what Man. Symphony of the Night did. Circle of the Moon. Yes. Now we're, now we're getting into the real good ones. <laughs> I love Circle of the Moon myself. Like, don't get me wrong. When I went back and played it recently, I did finally see what other people complain about about that grind because that grind is the, pretty bad. So if you take the grind out, though, yeah. that game is fantastic. It is. It is. And sometimes very, you get, very good. Sometimes you get lucky and the grind doesn't happen and you get the, the magic cards you need that define that game and make give it its playability. You get those quick. This last time I did it, I spent literally an hour on the Earth Demon, who's supposed to drop that card oh, pretty frequently. Yeah, yeah, the Earth Demon's card is yeah. one of the most painful ones, especially yeah. if you have to sit there for a while and it yeah. just doesn't drop. I was and, so oops. hideously overleveled after fighting it and finally getting the card to drop that, like, the entire next three hours of the game were a cakewalk. I was like, I don't even care. Well, and here's the weird thing about the Earth Demon's card, and it's that card actually has a relatively high chance to drop. Yeah, it's both. And if, if you're not having it drop, then unfortunately it's just a streak of bad luck, which, yep. I mean, if... If anybody's watched you with Final Fantasy Randomizer, then you exactly how that goes. I do not have good luck. No, no. <laughs> but that card is essential because the, uh, I mean, it's the ice card that drops off of it. And mm -hmm. it provides you a lot of necessary attacks. Down, it allows you to freeze enemies that you need to use as platforms later. It, it, not, not only is it attacks, but it's quality of life yes. things that it does because with freezing the enemies you're also able to turn them into platforms yep. which you can use to more or less go places that you probably shouldn't, probably shouldn't yeah but there's also like the just a simple quality of life thing is the ice shield that you can summon the four orbs that float around you man ah, yes that protects you from so much bullshit in that game High, high damage protection. Oh man. yeah, yeah. No, like you could, at like you get a few levels under your belt, and like basic enemies you're walking into will just freeze and then die quickly from there. And like it doesn't even have a very high cast to, uh, cost to cast, so you could like your magic meter really barely ever goes down while you're using it. It's great. Yeah, and yeah. that that is the nicest thing about the ice shield is it was extremely low magic cost Affordable. and yeah. It was so overpowered for its magic cost. Yeah, it was so good. Following Circle of the Moon, though, is probably the, the Metroidvania I like the least, and that would be Harmony of Dissonance. I know it has its supporters. That game does not thrill me. I, I'm in the middle of Harmony of Dissonance because I... So, oddly enough, I'm going to go ahead and say this. That is the one that I got to the final boss and then never beat <laughs> because I went... I'm just not feeling it. <laughs> yeah, no, I get you. I get you. Well, it's it's a, a combination of things. The music is a little too plinky for my tastes, especially in comparison to Circle of the Moon or then Aria to Come. The yeah, graphics... Circle, Circle and Aria were both very fluid, very beautiful soundtracks. Yeah. But and, Harmony and of Dissonance, there was... I get... It was too tinny. 
Yeah, and I get what they were doing with the graphics because people complained that Circle the Moon was too dark, which on the original Game Boy Advance hardware is fair. No backlight, hard yeah. to see. But it, they went, it was very dark. They went way too far in the other direction. The graphics are too chunky in a harmony of dissonance, and they're stupidly pastel to the point that it doesn't it really doesn't have that Castlevania vibe it's supposed to have. No, it, no. it felt like a completely different game altogether. Yeah. Yeah. Not deserving of the Castlevania title. Despite, it, was, like, it was way too bright. Yeah, despite it having the most influence, I think direct influence from Symphony of the Night in it, it also feels the most weird and out of place in the whole series. Yeah, I yeah. will absolutely agree with that. And I, I don't even want to get into the mechanics with that one because yeah. it's just... Oh. Yeah, it's it's the least interesting to explore, that's for sure. Uh, I will agree. With, with its two castles and, for some reason, 70 pieces of furniture. Yeah. <laughs> so dumb. Yeah. So dumb. But then you get probably, and I love Circle of the Moon, don't get me wrong, but you get probably the best of the Game Boy ones to follow. Which Aria. Was Aria of Sorrow, yeah. Such a good because game. Because Aria... They, they realized what they did wrong with yes. Harmony of Dissonance, and they completely 180'd it again on the graphical side and made it better than Circle of the Moon with probably one of the most memorable GBA Castlevania soundtracks. It's a fantastic soundtrack, but I think the thing that really makes it the most interesting is the soul system. Just... Yes. A hundred souls off, or I think it's close to maybe even more than that, off of one off of every single enemy you can fight uh, that you actually kill. Uh, and it provides just a depth. To, like, not all the souls are entirely useful if you're, like, playing in a randomizer or something. But, like, it provides just a, a level of depth that, like, even Circle the Moon to a certain extent was missing. The souls and Aria of Sorrow are just so interesting. They really are, and having, if you really wanted to do a full completion run and collect all of the souls, yep, that is that is something that you can do over and over and uh -huh. over again because it's just so enjoyable. It's a fun game. It's straight and up just a fun game. Just that whole development team on Aria, they encapsulated... Yeah. the essence of Castlevania after Symphony of the Night and escalated it to a whole new level with a whole new level of enjoyment added on top of that. Yeah, it, it's, it's, it's the, such a good game. It's the best parts of Symphony of the Night with the lessons learned from the magic system of Circle of the Moon worked in, and it works so well. It really does. Yeah, it's so good. Uh, it, it's actually, honestly, I think it's better in most respects than its direct sequel, Dawn of Sorrow. Dawn of Sorrow tries, but Dawn of Sorrow is basically, oh, Arya didn't sell as well as it should have, but we want a mea culpa and try again. So they made basically the same game over again, and it really does feel like the same game over again. Yeah, Dawn of Sorrow just felt like playing Arya of Sorrow over again. With slightly and... greater graphics. Yeah. Yeah. But if I remember correctly, Dawn of Sorrow was the first one on the DS? It was. It was the first. And it's interesting because where the, the Game Boy Advance games basically each reinvented the wheel each time, making their own engine to play the games. 
uh, all the DS games used the same engine. So even though Donosoro didn't sell that well, it kept the production co uh, costs for the next two games lower, so that, you know, even though none of them sold super well, Konami still made a tiny profit off all three of them. They did, and yep. that was just a genius move on Konami's oh, part, yeah. just having that engine be the same through all three of the DS uh -huh. makes, as there there really was no reason to change that engine. It worked so well. Yeah, and like, and I like each of the DS games for what they do. I think Dawn is a very pretty version of Aria, even if it's not that, like, fresh. Uh, Portrait with its two-character mechanic is fun, uh, like, I, I don't know that I necessarily enjoy that one as much, but it's definitely got one of the more expansive worlds just because of all the portraits to explore. Uh, portraits, portraits world system was very, very nice and something that I enjoyed them doing. But outside of that, there really wasn't anything else I remember from Portrait. It's, it's a very familiar game. And that was actually my problem with... Uh, uh, Order of Ecclesia as well, is that instead of souls, you get glyphs, but most of the enemies drop glyphs, just like most of the enemies drop souls. And then you have an ex expansive world that feels a lot like Portrait in most respects, that, like, as pretty as that game was, and it is fun to play in the randomizer, the game itself didn't feel fresh. But its movement was oh, yeah. very nice. I mean, its, its movement was fantastic. It's a good evolution of the DS games. And when you have all three of them in the randomizer and you can pick and choose and play through any of them, I have a greater appreciation for all three of them than I did when they first came out. Yeah, I, I will absolutely agree with having a greater appreciation with the randomizers. Yeah. Randomizers honestly breathe so much life into every game, not just Final Fantasy, which is where we both come from as far as randomizers are concerned. I was about to say um, something, something FFR. Yeah, exactly. But <laughs> like the number of Castlevania Metroidvanias that have had a randomizer and they just add so much to the game. It's great. I mean, just with one of the more recent ones that is very much in the Metroidvania genre. I mean, Time Spinner. Yeah, Time Spinner. And it has a randomizer, and that's a lot of fun. And then, of course, it's in the Archipelago system, which it combines all kinds of games together, including Final Fantasy Randomizer. And that's a lot of fun, too. Mm -hmm. And then, I, I mean, we can, we can touch upon it again in a little bit, but then there's, of course, the other Metroidvania to come out in, quote-unquote, the series. But it's not part of the series, but it is part of the series, which is Bloodstained. And yep. Ritual of the Night has a fantastic fantastic randomizer like the game itself is a very familiar uh aria of sorrow style game just with you know 3d 2d the, the 2.5d graphics but you which put the... i i'm probably gonna be in a bit of a minority in saying this yeah but i feel like that bloodstained ritual of the night should have actually fallen under the castlevania titles as that it has a lot more of a Castlevania feel to it. I mean, it is basically Castlevania. It's just Castlevania without the brand because Konami at the time didn't want to make any. So, yeah. like, I mean, they, they were dumb to do it because IGA made so much money making it and has a huge following for it, and that game is doing really well. Uh, oh, yeah, it is. It's even better with the randomizer they built for it because uh, that randomizer is just so much fun to play in and just do stupid crap, you know, like a randomizer does. <laughs> oh yeah. So so 
Where are we going next on the Castlevanias? Because so I don't remember if there were any released on the Wii. There, or there the was, GameCube. But, but before we get to that, we have to touch upon the ones for the uh, Xbox 360 and the PlayStation 2. The PlayStation which, 2. Yeah, that was Lament of Innocence and Curse of Darkness, which Curse of Darkness is the more expansive game. The Curse of Darkness is far more expansive. It is. But... Of the two of them, I actually like Lament better. See, I I think that's fair. It, I think that's very fair. It's less Metroidvania, and there's less to do, but I actually think that that less to do makes it a more focused game for what it is, which is basically just a, like, a 2D-style, like, arena-based uh, dungeon crawler. Like, it does Castlevania better than the Nintendo 64 ones did. Still not as good yes. as the Metroidvania games. But, but more it's fun. still... It still holds up well yeah. enough with the series name to actually be one that you could consider to be part of the main series of Castlevania, unlike yeah. with how Castlevania 64 was. Yeah. And with with Lament being the dungeon crawler style, that was the introduction of dungeon crawler to the Castlevania series. And I felt like they did that extremely well. I felt like Konami and the team did a very good introduction on the dungeon crawler genre to Castlevania itself. They took it, good inspiration from Devil May Cry, which is what it was compared to at the time, and did it well. Mm -hmm. um, much better, I think, than Curse of Darkness, which, I don't know, that, uh, game, just, that game bores me. <laughs> yeah, Curse of Darkness is just eh. Yeah, <laughs> that's, really that's the best way to put it. Is it? Like, eh. like the devil system is interesting. It's a again another iteration on that whole idea of let's do souls and new crafting and everything. But it just doesn't. It doesn't feel right. It, it never comes together the way I want it to. No, it yeah. really doesn't. I mean, like you, if you're going to introduce a system like that, you really need to have it play into the game yeah. a little more heavily than what it did. Yeah, and. They just made it a minor part of the game instead of yeah. a more major part of the game. And, and with it being a minor part of the game, it's just what what even is the point? Yeah. So, uh, but then there was, uh, now that we're outside of the Metroidvanias and those two titles, uh, which feel adjacent at the very minimum, uh, we do have a couple of oddballs to talk about. One is Harmony of Despair, which is kind of the start of the the mobile games. It's oh yeah, quick quick uh thirty minute plays through very I mean to its credit very expansive and very lovingly detailed castles, um, but they're very not like, well detailed. They were the the graphics of those uh, games were real pretty. The play style was fine. <laughs> it it felt finicky at times. It, yeah, there it, there were times that the play just didn't flow. Yeah. with what you needed to do in the game, and it it got kind of clunky. But outside of that, like, that game as a whole, it, it was very beautiful. It was. It's an interesting experiment, for sure, and if it had remained the one time the series had done that, I'd appreciate it a lot. Unfortunately, it then, wasn't. It wasn't. Then we got Grimoire of Souls, which is still somehow lumbering along on Apple Play right now, which was yeah. that game, but with more 3D-styled graphics. And China is getting Moonlight Rhapsody, which is yet another version. That will probably eventually come over here. But, uh, like, we don't need three iterations on this concept. We're good, guys. Seriously. Yeah, I'm 
I'm in agreement on that. Like the the first iteration on the concept was enough, just enough. Just enough. <laughs> and then in between, before we really saw the series reboot itself, we also had Castlevania Judgment, which honestly, the least set, less said about that weird fighting game, the better. Yeah, <laughs> I was about to say exactly that. Yeah, it's it's just a goofy game. From the weird art style that makes everyone look like they're in this some weird bondage anime, to the bad controls that are half waggle, half, like, button combos, and a story that makes... Yeah, no, it's just, it's bad. It's Good concept, bad execution. Exactly. Like, it, it needed, a, like, another year in the hopper to actually feel right, and... It was clearly just a cash grab from Konami going, you know what? Castlevania mm. sell or the, 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 the Nintendo Wii sell really well. What can we shove out there right now? Honestly, I would have given it more like two years. Uh, I can see that. If, if, it, if a follow-up had happened that had refined it a lot more, it would probably rate higher on my like estimation. But as the only time the series has done this and then never again, it's too it big an oddball. Yeah, it's it's too far out to really be considered part of the Castlevania series. Yeah. I mean, even though it does bear the name, it Well, it's another yeah. it's another one of those where if like Konami had called it like Konami YY fighting and it just had a bunch of really weird versions of Castlevania guys in amongst like Kon uh, Contra and Gradius and other stuff and they all did fighting arena with Galamoth being the end boss like he is in the main game. Uh I think that would have been fine. It would have been dumb. But it would have been fine. But making it specifically a Castlevania game makes it so weird. Yeah, and I mean, I am going to be jumping ahead quite a bit here, uh, real-time-wise, because since we're on that whole fighting game genre thing with Castlevania characters, I mean, when Richter and Simon were introduced in Smash, uh -huh. and then actually had what they could do shown off, in the Nintendo Direct, that was actually done right. Yeah, yeah. See, it's fine for them. To, I'm not. I'm not uh, shitting on the idea of a fighting game with Castlevania characters. It's just the judgment is a bad game. Exactly. Yeah. Like that's yeah. that's the whole thing I was getting at is uh -huh. judgment didn't do it right. But yeah. there's there's an idea fast there. Forward, fast forward three, four, uh, not three, four years. Um. However many years later, I can't remember. Uh, I think Judgment came out in 2010, so we're looking at 10, 11 years since. No, because Simon and Richter were in the main character roster for Super Smash Bros. Ultimate, yeah. and that came out back in 2017, 2018. Well, they were in the roster, but I don't, were they added in that, or were they, did they come in as DLC after the fact? They, they were added into the base roster. Okay, so we're looking at more like eight years then. Yeah, yeah, and okay. that's fair. that that allowed a lot of, of refinement to actually have it be made properly, unlike with Judgment, where it was just like you had said, a cash grab. Yeah, it it, it didn't feel right, but I mean, as far as not feeling right is concerned, and I know you like this game, but I don't. There are the Lords of Shadow games. Now, let me let me go into detail about this. I hate these games. Like, the only one of them that I like at all, in any respect, is Mirror of Fate, because it feels more like a Castlevania game. Now, not a good one. It it has, still has a lot of the Mercury Steam issues that I don't much care for. But there was nothing about 
And bear in mind, I don't play the uh, God of War games, so I wasn't ready for this particular genre when it started, and I tried to play my way through both the first and the second of the mainline games of this. But there was nothing about that game I liked. I hated the combat in the main game. I hated the fucking Colossus scaling, mini-time, quick-time event bullshit fights. Um, I hated the level design because I always got lost wherever I was supposed to be. They're, like, and even if I divorced myself from the continuity and let the story go, I hated how plotting and downbeat it all was. There was nothing I liked about these games. So, yes, story-wise, I will say I hated it. Okay. But having come from playing God of War right before actually playing uh-huh. both of them, since I actually had a good idea as to how the gameplay was going to work right after that first minute. Yeah. That's what led me to like it more than dislike it. The story, uh, zero out of 10. Yeah. Yeah. No, <laughs> but, and it's, it is, it is really a plotting story. Like, Gabriel goes into these woods, and then you spend, like, four chapters in these fucking woods fighting mm -hmm. random goons that don't matter, and then, oh, suddenly a titan shows up, and you fight the titan, and, like, some other, like, crusader shows up and talks to you for a bit about crap you don't care about, uh, and I'm like, wasn't I here to get vengeance for my dead wife, and how does any of this how... relate to that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But if, if you play the God of, if you've played the God of War games, or are currently playing them <laughs> then the gameplay is going to feel the exact same between god of war and these two castlevania games specifically and it's i mean that's fair it may just be that god of war is not my game i don't think god of war is your game but <laughs> then again you and i have spent how many years playing games together yeah I mean, you know what my taste is, uh, and you know what my skill level is when it comes to certain types of games. There are oh, games yeah. I joes on, and there are games I'm just like, this is this is just not for me. Oh, yeah. But outside of that, they're not really they're worth the play. Yeah, they're forgettable. Like, <laughs> especially since... Okay, so the first one is the only other million seller, and I think it actually managed to... I think it may have outsold the original Castlevania by about 200,000. Like... 1.7 yeah. versus 1.5 for the original Castlevania and its iterations, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah, it's a ludicrous amount, but I think a lot of that is spawned by A, it fed into a genre that was popular, God of War. Uh, yep. And it was a reboot, so for those of that were interested and inclined, could jump on without having to worry about all the story, which, I don't know, I like the story of Castlevania. I don't want to see it ditched. That was a downbeat for me. Uh, yeah. yeah. Now, losing the story of Castlevania definitely gave it a big hit for me but as i said the only reason i really like the game or those two games is just because of the gameplay itself if you if you ignore the story in both of them they're really not bad games but at the same time you have to have a certain skill level in order to really be able to play them and that's that's where a lot of people fell off. Well, yeah, and you can see, like, a lot of people picked it up and it sold really well the first game. Uh, but then the buy-in to actually follow the story was bad because it wasn't just that you could pick up Lords of Shadow 2 and no. You had to pick mm -hmm. up both expansions for the first game to get the conclusion of the story. 
Then you had to pick up Mirror of Fate and play through that as well, just to understand what happened in the in-between 500 years, so that when you picked up Lords of Shadow 2, which was like Metroidvania matched up against God of War, uh, then you would understand everything. Otherwise, you were going to be lost on the story, and you yeah. were playing a God of War game, which if you didn't want to play it the first time, you weren't going to want to play it the second. Exactly. Yeah. And, I mean, having having the two DLCs and then mirror in between, just to be able to have that continuity in the story going into Lord yeah. of Shadow 2, it, it sucked. Yeah. Well, and it, it, it kind of made Lords of Shadow 2 disengaging on the story. I think is the best way I have to put it. Oh my god, that story. It really wasn't, but it made it even more disengaging. It did. Like, I actually... So, I actually... While the gameplay is still not really for me, I rather dug the first of the two expansions. uh, Reverie? Uh, Reverie was so good. Yeah, I liked Laura. I liked playing with her. I liked the puzzles. I thought the the de-emphasis of some of the combat, making the combat more streamlined, was good. Like, Can we go back to the puzzles real quick? Because those puzzles really weren't that bad. I, no. I felt like those puzzles were extremely well designed by Konami. It was a very kind and very well thought out first expansion. The second one wasn't. but the first No, the one second was, one was not, but the first no. one, Reverie, was fantastically yeah. made. That was the game I wanted to see out of Castlevania. But, like, if the whole point of rebooting the franchise was so you could throw out the continuity and make it easy for get people to get on... Putting out two expansions and a mid mid quill just so you can understand the next game in the series was a really bad call. Yeah, I will agree. <laughs> so terrible. And you could tell because that game sold as poorly as the DS games, despite having a ballooning budget. Oh god. Yeah, yeah and the DS games, I mean The DS where, games were some of them canonical. Were, yeah, where they were canonical and fairly good too yeah. with the limitations that the ds had yeah yeah the, the, the hardware wasn't that powerful i mean it was good enough to produce better than uh super nintendo style graphics along with occasional 3d effects that the series used and that was fine mm-hmm. uh but the, you, the, the key you reason run into think- lord's shadow 2 where yeah. it had a budget that was what five six times that of exactly. the ds games and you're just you get that and you're just like yeah I don't even want to play this to start. The only reason I played Lords of Shadow 2, and I I, I like Lords of Shadow 1, don't like Lords of Shadow 2. <laughs> yeah, so... I, the I, only reason I played it was because I forced myself to. I get that. And that. I mean, I played through it enough to get the vibe for it for my website so I could review it. And that's, yep. that's the best I could say, is that I grudgingly played through it. And it's not that it doesn't have interesting ideas... I kind of liked a lot of Dracula's powers in that game. I thought the like the the morph ball style rat puzzles where you turn into a rat and do stuff. I actually kind of liked that. It was one of the only things I liked about it, but I liked the creativity there. I just yeah, thought, like, like that that was a creative brainchild on yeah. Yeah. Konami's part, and Dracula's powers were really really cool but outside of that there's not much else that was really memorable no. with lords too like i hated the combat of that game enough i really wish i could have played more morph ball stealth puzzles and when right. stealth is the part of the game people are actually excited to play you've done something wrong mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah but uh, 
Actually, the, I, the, I the say main, let's jump out of that trash can well, of a. I was going to say the main games. lesson I'm learning here is that I need to get you to write reviews for my website because you have a different take on some of these than I have. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it, it's. I look at the games both ways. I look for I look at where there's bad, where there's good, weigh it out, and yep. then determine from there. Yep. So, but yeah, from there, we only have a few weird titles to discuss. The the Wii did have one other game, but it was only WiiWare, and that was the uh, Castlevania The Adventure Rebirth, which was... Yeah, Rebirth pretty. was beautiful. Very very pretty. Probably one of the prettiest games right up there with Symphony of the Night. It is also one of the hardest games right up there with the Castlevania Adventure. Yes. Yeah. It's that brutal. That game was brutal with yeah. a capital brutal. Takes no... It's just rough as fuck. Like that, I, that was the game that you sat there, you played it, you looked at it after you game overed, you yep. kept trying again, you kept looking at it and then going, what the fuck am I doing wrong? You're, you're not playing on emulation with save states, that's what you're doing wrong. That's, yeah, that's exactly. the way to get through the game. <laughs> like, uh. the... There's no other way to put it when no. you're going through there dying yeah. in the same spot over and over again and you just look at it and you're like, Well, how the fuck am I supposed to get through this? Yeah, it's it's just it's rough. It it is a take no prisoners kind of game. Um and then yeah, we from there we basically have just the like there's mobile phone iterations of some of the games. Like the original Castlevania had a bunch of mobile phone ports. Yeah, the uh the two uh, Sorrow games each had mobile phone ports. That's honestly, they're not bad for what they are, even though they're all they are very limited because so, mobile phones. The the Dawn game, the Sorrow games having the mobile ports. Yeah, I, I felt like that was a very good play because they actually tend to play slightly better and be a little bit more responsive on mobile. Yeah, they're well, they're they're probably the two games that lend themselves the best to being on mobile phones. They're, mm -hmm. the, like, Aria's the best regarded of the GBA Metroidvanias, uh, and Dawn is the simplest, quote-unquote, of the uh, DS the least games. The least technically advanced. Yeah, exactly. And if you already have the engine built for Aria, porting over Dawn isn't it's, that big a struggle. Yeah. No, it's very simple. So it's economical in that respect. Use the same engine, bring over Dawn, slap some of the graphics in. Not that. They're not very expansive ports at all. They're, they're very stripped-down versions of the games. But for what they are, I mean, if you want to play Aria and Dawn on the go and you had a phone that could do it, they weren't bad. They really weren't. They weren't. And the... I mean, a lot of people have phones that can actually play them. So uh, I would honestly classify both of the mobile ports as being worth it to play. Yeah. There are at least good entries in the Metroidvania genre for that people can just pick up and play. Uh, but then, of course, the... Uh, well, I was going to say, then we only have one other thing to discuss when we get back around to the gambling machines, but there is one other thing we can touch upon if we want to count it within Castlevania. And the Anniversary Collection does... And that would be the two Kid Dracula games. Yes. yes. I was hoping <laughs> that we would actually get to the Kid Dracula games. Why not? Because they, they actually should have been Castlevania titles instead of actually just being Kid Dracula. But 
with with the anniversary collection actually having both of the kid Dracula games in them, I felt that that was a very nice touch from Konami, actually turning them into something canonical for the series instead of it feeling like something instead of it. Sorry, let me let me re- yeah. think what I'm saying. Yeah. Having it be something canonical instead of having it just be known as the two kid Dracula games. Yeah. Because they do have their parts that they play in the Castlevania series. Well, and if you were in Japan at the time, then they did, they were considered lore, like they were canonical, canonical. They were, essentially they were like Parodius to Gradius. They they were, but they weren't, but they kind of were. I mean, the title of them is Akumajo Special Boku Dracula Kun. So, I mean, they, they got the Akumajo right in there. Uh, like fans of the series be like, oh yeah, that's 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 close enough. But then Japanese like Japanese audiences are primed for that kind of like spin-off and parody in a way that American audiences aren't. I will absolutely agree with that. And I mean even though it is similar to Parodius with Gradius, yeah. there there were still very many aspects in both of those games that did end up feeling more canonical than non canonical. Well, and their canonicity, if that's a word, uh, it was at least, like, somewhat cemented, not only by Symphony of the Night with the inclusion of Gallimoth as a boss in there, who is the end boss of the two Bogus games. Yeah, oh, Gallimoth. But he's also, like, the the guy pulling the strings behind the scenes of Castlevania Judgment. Yep. So, and having having that tie of Gallimoth in the series yep. was really, really nice. Yep. And if canonicity isn't a word, then we have officially made it a word. <laughs> so yeah, it, it 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 like the Castlevania Anniversary Collection, including at least the Famicom edition, uh, is nice. I do hope that at some point we get a Game Boy collection. I was really kind of hoping the Advance Collection would have the Game Boy games, but hopefully at some point we get a Game Boy collection for uh, as well for the series, so we can get like uh, Adventure and Belmont's Revenge and. Legends, and then the second Boko Dracula Coon game uh, oh, for the yeah. Game Boy, all together. Hopefully, with maybe a couple other bonus features. There's some, there's some oddball games out there for the series that could still be included in a collection that would do well. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's 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 nice having Konami at least put out all these iterations: the Requiem and Anniversary Collection and Advance Collection, so that those of us that want to have another edition that we can play of these games now. It's really nice. I, I appreciate yeah, that. It's, yeah. it's very nice to see the classics having anniversaries made. Yeah. And what would be even cooler, in my opinion, is we, we've had so many graphical advancements. Yeah. Within, I would even venture to say, the last four years. Uh-huh. And having some of the actual classic titles completely remastered with the new with the more modern graphics would be just i i don't even have words for what it would be well it would be nice to see that i know konami has said that they are working on some castlevania games uh hopefully the big project they work on wasn't just the nfts uh, but they have said they are supposed to be working on some new title in the series. It would be nice to see them do something that goes back to its roots before, like, maybe doing some remasters based on the same engine. But, 
like just having them at least put out the classic games in some form at least is nice. They're not the company they used to be. No, they really are not. No. Konami Konami has been caring more about their fan base at least quite a bit more than they used to. They have I mean they they I think they've finally realized that there is money to be made once again in the gaming market that is outside of just gambling machines and mobile phone ports, but it will remain to be seen just where the series goes from here. Oh yeah. And I am looking forward to where it goes because it's it's one of the original series similar to the Mario series or the Legend of Zelda series. It's uh-huh. one of the original series that started back in the 80s and is still very prominent even today. It is. Despite, like... Despite the weird ways that the series went at its start, from Castlevania to Vampire Killer, which was the MSX one that took that game and made it into a weird Metroidvania, to Castlevania 2, which was another weird Metroidvania that, you know, is enjoyable for what it is, and then Haunted Castle, which was that bad arcade game they put out. God. Yeah. Yeah. We, I'm glad we didn't touch upon Haunted Castle at all. I only just remembered, I'm like, oh yeah, that was a game, wasn't it? Um, so... Before finally finding its ground again with Castlevania 3, the series took some stumbles to get there, but once it got cruising, it did really well, and it's up there for a lot of people as one of the pillars of classic gaming. Like, it doesn't, the name doesn't have the same cultural cachet that it used to, but it would be nice to see it gain it again. Oh, I would love to see it regain its, its profound, well-known status. Yeah. So, okay, we've been going, honestly, I think close to an hour and 15 minutes at this point, so we probably should wrap it up. I don't think I have much more Castlevania to say right now, anyway. I don't have much more. I, I feel like we pretty much covered everything here, because we we went from the start of the series all the way to where it is right now. Yeah, uh, until such time as we come up with some more topics to discuss next time. Next time, fan games! Oh, good lord. <laughs> That'll probably never happen. All right, well, this has been Not So Light from Asteroid G. I'm Mike Finkelstein with Zach, a.k.a. Sonny Rap, uh, here in the booth with me. Thank you for coming out. No problem. Thanks for having me. It's Absolutely. been a blast, dude. <laughs> it's been a good time. Uh, we will see all of you good listeners out there next time. <laughs> <laughs>